You are now tuned in to episode 76 of the Midwest Angler Podcast. I'm Scott Sturman, and I'm joined by my buddy, Matt Deitch. Matt, what's up, man? Not much. You? Uh, not a whole lot. R.I.P. Evanrude. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That is very crazy. All the boat mechanics, motor mechanics are probably sad, too. Yeah, no kidding. I did see something they were talking about. I think, actually, um, they're, they're just stopping production of them. Yeah. I think they're still going to do like R&D on them and stuff like that and still make parts for them, obviously, because okay. they got a lot of motors out there that you know people are going to need parts for. So Right. And I did see uh, that they're still going to honor the warranty and, yeah. and yep. some different stuff like that. But, you know, if you think about the guys like on the professional tours that, uh, you know, are running Evan Roots, you know, Jacob oh, know. Wheeler and, and, you know, uh, Scott Martin, I think runs an Evan Roode, you know, man, like. That's a real kick to the shorts because... Well, yeah. I mean, all you're going to see there now is next season, those guys will be on with some other different motor company as their sponsor. So. Right. Do you think this is an opportunity for Suzuki to really step up their game? I think so. I think Suzuki has kind of been making some waves in the in the industry the last few years, and I think it really is their opportunity. They have a few guys on the Elite Series that run them, some guys on the National Walleye Tours that run them, yeah. and uh, they seem to be putting out a good product and everybody's got a lot of good things to say about them so yeah it's definitely an opportunity for them to kind of sneak in there with yamaha and uh, mercury right you know even even honda could uh, honda you know make a, a good, yeah. make a good run you know i think this could be honda and suzuki's time to uh to pick up some really big name anglers that right oh, yeah. now are kind of you know lost in the shuffle you know i mean yeah. obviously the guys who are running mercs the guys who are running yamaha's you know they're gonna stay with what they're doing, well, but and some of those guys might try to set themselves apart too, and you know, be the big name for that motor. Exactly. Company, you know? I mean, if if Suzuki could pull in Jacob Wheeler, yeah. I mean, uh, are you kidding? Like, holy moly! But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's you know, I I was surprised when I saw that. You know, well, yeah, we were at Ramrod's going away party, and yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, came up came across Facebook. You know, and you and. Some of us, you, Tanner, and I, and a couple of the other guys were just like, what? Evan Rood and everybody else like, what the heck are you guys yeah. talking about? Right. You know, but golly, that, you know, that Bombardier, you know, uh, BRP, uh, you know, Evan Rood, uh, Can-Am, Sea-Doo, Ski-Doo, you yeah. know, I mean, they make uh, they make airliners. I mean, that is not a small company. Uh, no. So, uh, yeah, the, quite, quite the shock. I heard 500-some uh, people without a job now, Ooh. and whatever uh you know we're not we're not going to sit here beat a dead horse and tell you a bunch of sad stories but yeah just a a big uh shake up in the uh fishing world but uh you got out and did some fishing here in the last couple of days sure did yep i was able to get out uh, and go with actually it was kind of fun the other day took my grandpa who's 94 years old my dad myself and my nephew who is four years old so we kind of had four generations of deitches in the boat and it's a good time, you know. It was I'll, my grandpa's a fishing machine, my dad's a fishing machine. You know, me, we can sit out there all day in the boat and not say a word to each other and just concentrate on fishing. Nobody eats anything, nobody yeah. drinks everything. <laughs> We're just so focused in on the fishing. But having the four-year-old along kind of help break that up a little bit and remind you that, yeah, you know, you need to. Right. You know, we had plenty of snacks in the boat, uh, so that kept us occupied and i i'll give him credit for four years old he fished all day i think we started fishing at like nine thirty, 
and we got home at I think we got back to Ellsworth at around six o'clock. So well, with the Deitch last name, uh, if if he didn't, uh, he probably wouldn't even be invited for Christmas, would he? <laughs> Might get disowned. Yeah. No. He uh, the the one time he was kind of like, okay, you know, like this is you could tell he's getting to have enough, but. I think one time he said, I want my mom. And I think my dad was just like, no, we're not going to talk like that. So then he's like, okay. And then you just got to distract him with other things. Right. You know, like I started showing him some of the buttons on the boat on how to operate the live well. Oh, yeah. So he thought that was pretty cool. He wanted to check the fish out in the live well because we had some walleyes in there. Nice. Yeah, he was he was having fun. I showed him where the horn button was on the boat. That was probably a mistake. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> not a good idea. Because right pretty soon it was like, burr, burr. it's like, okay, we need to stop that now for a while. Yeah, people are gonna think you guys motor. <laughs> right, that's what something. I said. People are gonna think that we need help. But no, it was it was a lot of fun to get out there. And, that's you know, awesome. Like I said we caught some fish and who caught the most? Grandpa. Yeah, I figured. Obviously, he caught four. I caught three, and then. Mm-hmm. Koi, yes, Koi, Koi, Koi caught got three. Two. You probably got last. Jig and Joe. Joe didn't have any. He blanked. He blanked. Oh my gosh! Wow, tough, tough day on the water for Jig and Joe. But <laughs> yeah, I you also, got you got yeah, out. I did. I got out and man, had yourself an adventure. Oh my gosh, was it an adventure? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll dip into it here just a little bit, and then we will uh, talk about it later in the show. But uh, yeah, I got out uh, out kind of in the Platte area on the Missouri River. And, uh, yeah, we did good. We caught fish and, uh, whatever, but yeah, we had a heck of a time on the way out there and, uh, it didn't stop there. Uh, bad luck bug kind of hit our whole entire camp. We had, uh, we had quite a few people there staying in the cabin and then there's a bunkhouse across the driveway that a bunch more people were in and, uh, bad luck hit us. And it also hit another boat, uh, in the, uh, in camp and, uh, whatever. But we, like I said, we caught fish, whatever. And, uh, I'll, I'll bring that up later in the show. But uh, before that, uh, uh, yeah, while we were in camp, I, I got talking with a guy who I've known for, for quite a few years. He, he was the same age as me, uh, went to the school just 15 miles down the road, West Lyon. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, I mean, this is an interesting dude right here. Like he's got his pilot's license, he flies drones, he dives, he wakeboards. I mean, if, if there's, there's a crazy sport. This dude does it. Like he's just, he's, he's, he's way cool, very smart, whatever. And, uh, I thought, man, you know what? Uh, I don't know anything about, uh, spear fishing. And, uh, yeah, like I said, he dives down there and, uh, you know, shoots these fish and, and, uh, it's, it's something that I didn't know anything about. I don't think you know anything about and don't know, uh, I don't know anything about it. So it's going to be pretty interesting to talk to him. Right. I think 95% of our listeners probably don't know anything about it. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, we're going to get over to a, a guy named Mike Clarenbeek and talk about spearfishing. So, and we are here today with Mike Clarenbeek. Mike, how you doing? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I uh, think we got some good stuff to go over and uh, look forward to the discussion. Yeah, definitely something that neither one of us are real familiar with, so it's nice to have you on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad uh, Scott uh, reached out to me and uh, a lot of uh, good information for just kind of, you know, general fishermen, but uh, it's something that some people might witness here or there and kind of always thought about, so I'm happy to help educate the, the general fishing public. You bet. Mike, you ever been on a podcast before? Um, I have not done a podcast. I've done a couple webinars um, and kind of hosted a little bit of that stuff, but I've not done a podcast yet, so this is my first. Well, cool. Right. <laughs> um, we always get our show uh, started off with a couple of random questions, uh, non-fishing related, whatever. So uh, I'll sure. start off here. Uh, Mike, do you believe in aliens? 
Uh, I do not believe in aliens. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. You know, with all the drone flying that you did, I didn't know if you uh, kind of went up, chased a couple UFOs or anything crazy right, like right. that. No, I'm not too much of a conspiracy guy for the most part. That's uh, that's the father-in-law. He's got a couple more conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> Shots I think, fired. I think a lot of us yeah. are conspiracy theorists <laughs> now. Yeah. All right, now I guess my question is uh, last meal. What would your last meal be? Uh, I always like hash browns and a T-bone T-bone steak. So. You can't go wrong there. No, you absolutely go cannot there. go wrong. How how does that T-bone need to be done? Uh, medium rare. Medium rare. Yeah. Right. Medium rare. Cheese on the hash browns? Uh, I don't mind the cheese. I don't know if it was my last meal if I'd have cheese. Mm-hmm. I kind of like just the regular flavor. So I'd go probably like a non-seasoned T-bone and just hash browns. Okay. Right on. Okay. All right, Mike. Uh, well, obviously, uh, in the intro, I kind of uh, le- leading in. Uh, I talked that uh, you are a spear gun fisherman, spear gunner. What what do you actually? What is the term there? Uh, it's called spear fishing, but it. Uh, I mean, it's the same term they use for even like bow fishing, I guess. But spear fishing, I guess, is what most divers will kind of call it if they're going to go and enjoy the sport, I guess, spear fishing. Okay. Now, did you get started with a rod and reel, or, or did you jump right into spear fishing? Um, I think everybody kind of starts, you know, fishing with a rod and reel for the most part. But my parents were divers, and so I was exposed pretty young. Uh, I got my dive certification when I was 14. I'm 31 now. Um, so I was exposed pretty young. And I uh, just kind of drug into it and it's kind of grown on me, uh, like a lot of things in life. But, it, uh, yeah, I enjoy it now. So. Yeah, absolutely. What are what are some of the early fishing memories uh, with the rod and reel? Uh, early fishing, I mean, when I was a kid, we'd always go to all these little ponds kind of in northwest Iowa that, uh, you know, like Pooter's Pond. Uh, there was one by uh, Rock Valley. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, Winterfield pits. Yeah, yeah, we went there a few times. But when I was little, I mean, we would try and get every excuse to go fishing for, you know, and bluegill bass, you know, whatever we could catch, and uh, whenever we could get a chance, especially during the summer, get someone to drive us over there and do some fishing. So spent many, many hours getting sunburn and uh, catching little, little bluegills and whatnot out of the out of a pond. Right on. Cool. Now, uh, now you mentioned that you got your uh, dive certification at a young age, but uh, when did you actually start uh, spear gun- spear fishing? Um, probably high school, so probably like uh, sixteen. Probably when I started carrying, I wasn't very good either. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't say I was. Uh, kind of like you know when you're just fishing little ponds and stuff like that as a kid, you you start to learn kind of what what things bite on and how to you know how to cast and reel and you know, what jigs work good for certain fish and kind of similar with uh, spear fishing. You get down there and it, it takes a little while to kind of get the hang of things. And so really you got to get kind of comfortable diving before you can really master the art of spear fishing. And now you, you know, you mentioned getting comfortable diving. Um, what kind of classes did you have to take to get certified to dive? So there's a certification course, uh, which involves a test and then kind of, a uh, in the pool dive and then an open water dive. Um, so you get comfortable. It's with an instructor, so it's an instructor-led court, uh, class, and um, you know they're kind of a very they're available throughout different dive shops. So usually a local dive shop will have classes. 
um, that they do periodically. I would say once a month is kind of the one by two falls here. Uh, they do a class about once a month, and it's usually, you know, three, four people. And, um, yeah, so, and the open water is usually separate. So usually you'll do a couple of days in the classroom and do your pool dive, and then you'll go out and do your open water dive, and then you'll have a dive instructor kind of sign your sign your book that you've gone through all the all the training, and then you're off. Wow. Right on. Is it is it kind of like a little creepy or is it a different feeling when you first go into the open water dive like that? I mean, compared to like being yeah. in a pool or something like that? The pool, yeah, the pool is definitely like a uh, little kid's playground of, of uh, diving. You're just, just getting used to being underwater, breathing, that kind of stuff. Uh, so just trying to get comfortable using the equipment. But yeah, once you get up to the open water, there's a few things you have to do. You have to not use the bottom and you have to use your compass to make sure you're going the right direction. So it's kind of like when you don't see the bottom, you're just kind of floating in this big abyss. Um, so you really have to rely on your compass and direction. So you're, the task is to swim out so far and then turn around and swim back and kind of end up within so many feet of where you started um, uh, to kind of pass that part of it, I guess. But the, the visibility uh, is the biggest thing. You know, people that learn to dive in the ocean are used to this unlimited visibility. Um, but in the lakes and the rivers, you, you don't get that necessarily. So uh, it's a definitely a different experience. Uh, your open water dive in uh, in the Midwest. Oh yeah. I never thought about that. Like yeah. in in my mind, I'm thinking that you're going to drop into a body of water where, you know, at the very minimum, you could see ten feet or something like that. But yeah. you know, w- when you get diving and you don't know where the ground is and you don't know which way is your boat and whatever, like. Man, that has got to freak you out. I I don't know, like almost a claustrophobic <laughs> feeling, right? Yeah, if it's definitely you, you have to be comfortable, otherwise you will get claustrophobic. Obviously, you know your bubbles will always go up, so you at least know which direction is up and down. But you know, other Thank than God. that, you can get <laughs> flipped around pretty easily. And so, um, yeah, you definitely like anything. You're gonna have the most fun or enjoy it the most when you're when you're really comfortable. So, right. you know, you don't have some really tight strap on your shoulder or something like that, making you uncomfortable because you want to be comfortable so you can focus on the task at hand. Now, do you dive solo or is it kind of an unwritten rule that you always go with the buddy system? Um, you know, definitely in the more dangerous dives, you want to have a buddy and that's more common in an ocean because you can go so deep and everything like that. So a buddy is a good idea, uh, especially in those situations. And when you're newer, uh, a buddy is a good idea because if something goes wrong, you have a backup air system. You could swim over to your your buddy, and you could breathe on that or something like that. So it is a better system to go with two. Um, now, saying that, most of the time when you're diving these uh, rivers and these lakes is uh, it's pretty shallow. And worst case scenario is you push off the ground and start swimming up, and you reach the surface pretty quickly, or you can ditch your weights and float to the surface. Um, you don't have to worry about uh, getting the bends or anything like that from a pretty shallow depth. You want to be careful. But um, the danger is, is less dangerous in that in that depth at that depth. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of you mentioned some weights and stuff there? What kind of equipment is needed when you're going to go spear fishing like that and diving in general? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if anything, there's a lot of equipment. It's always trying to justify it to your wife. That makes sense, right? <laughs> it's all needed. <laughs> yeah, it's all needed. You gotta have the good stuff. So you could fun. just say um, it's all safety equipment. They can't really. Safety. Yeah, exactly. you, you're, you're, it's easier for you to convince them <laughs> than is. for us. Yeah, my life is on the line, so I have to get the good stuff. No, it's um, you know, roughly, uh, you know, you have like fins, a suit to stay warm. You can do a, a wet suit 
or which uh, kind of locks in the water against your skin, so it kind of warms up, kind of like whale blubber almost. Okay. Um, or you can do a dry suit, which gives you seals, and then you can wear clothing underneath it to keep warm. Uh, then you have masks, but basic dive stuff would be like your buoyancy compressor, so your BC, um, which would allow you to go up and down. It fills with air, and it dumps air in order to go to control your buoyancy. Um, and then you have some weights, which is pretty cheap. Uh, so that's not really a big thing, but um, computer to kind of track uh, how much air you have left, how deep you are. Um, that's kind of, the, you know, tank, obviously, um, that has compressed air in it um, so you can breathe down there. But, yeah, generally, you know, cost a lot. A lot of times people are like, oh, how much does it cost to get into? Um, I had a lot of hand-me-down stuff um, because, again, my parents were in it. But uh, you could probably get into diving uh, under two thousand dollars if you're shopping around a bit. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when you're when you're looking into buying fishing poles, and you know, if if, oh, yeah. if, if you're going to buy a boat or whatever, I mean, you know, uh, really for two thousand dollars, it isn't that crazy. But no, okay. Um, do you need a special license to spearfish? Uh, in comparison to uh, like fishing with a line or something like that yeah you know like we just have a basic fishing license do you have yep. to have a license above that or so licensing it used to be you had to get like an add-on spearing license uh, it it'll vary from state to state some states don't even let it let you spear fish um but south dakota does uh they just have you know certain bodies of water that you can do it in um so the answer in south dakota is you do not need any special license you just get a regular fishing license um, but in other states, there'll be different seasons for it, and there could be an add-on license, or they could not allow it at all. So it does vary from state to state. Um, but South Dakota right now is currently the same as a fishing license, basically. Okay. And I know, I, I believe you can out in Nebraska on Lake McConaughey. Um, yep. I, we kind of cover Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. I guess I'm not 100% sure on, on the other states, but I know for sure South Dakota and Nebraska allow it. Yes, yeah. South Dakota and Nebraska. I have not dove anything in Nebraska yet. I know, like, there's not a, a lot of bodies of water, but I've pretty much, my diving experience is uh, South Dakota, um, Minnesota, and Iowa. And Minnesota and Iowa, when I dive those lakes, I'm just diving recreationally and, right. and just kind of going down there to check things out. You know, you have, like, by Okoboji and whatnot, they have a couple of lakes there where the visibility is pretty good, and you can go down there and you can find all sorts of stuff that people drop off their boats and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet you you can find some treasures there in Miller's Bay <laughs> yeah, where all the drunkies are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can find some cameras, you know, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, my parents have found... More than I have found. I don't know if they're more observative than I am or not, but uh, they found things. They've even found a car. Someone stole a, a truck, a pickup, and drove the truck into Pooter's Pond, and we were diving that just for fun. And they're like, hey, there's a pickup down here. So um, someone threw a big rock on the accelerator and just drove it into the lake. But they found wallets and flashlights, even scuba diving. They found a spear gun, a, a diver's spear wow. gun, fishing poles, lures. Huh. Uh, you know, that's most of the stuff I find is, is probably lures just stuck on tree posts or posts underground or something like that. Well, you could clean them up and probably sell them to Scott for double. <laughs> <laughs> it's surprising, you know. Some of that stuff stays pretty good, and then some of it looks, you know, like it's been down there for 10 years. So right. Every once in a while, bottom bounces are usually the thing that I get. Uh, I don't really have to buy too many of because <laughs> I can usually find a good 
tree stump down there with a bunch of bottom bouncers on it. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, some bodies of water in South Dakota you can fish and some bodies you can't. Uh, do you, uh, is there, I mean, is there a lot of bodies of water that are open up for you, or is it the Missouri River and just a few other things? Or It used to, it used to be just the Missouri, and then um, there's a lot of kind of a movement to at least open up some of the lakes because, the lakes are diveable at the beginning of the year before they kind of bloom with algae and all that. Um, and so it was more of a educating kind of the, uh, the DNR and the, the powers that be that, Hey, you know, this is what spearfishing is. We're, you know, we're not taking a lot of fish or anything like that. This is kind of the sport. And then they opened up a few more lakes on the East side of the state. So there are, uh, and there's a couple on the West side too. So they did end up opening up a few more lakes to, to go spearfishing in. Okay. What what species of fish can you all spearfish for? Um, I mean, I I prefer just doing some walleye spearfishing, you know, just because I enjoy eating walleye. Um, but bass, you can shoot bass. You could, I mean, if you want, you can shoot carp. You know, so you can anything your normal fishing license uh, okay. allows, you can you can spearfish. So right, I didn't know if there was like any regulations on which fish you like. Some fish are off limits to do it, and some aren't. But and I'd have to look a little closer too. Like I don't know, like um, like a paddlefish or you know those ones. Right. You know, those, I don't know how easy it would be even to spearfish those because they're pretty deep and pretty you know, big. I don't know how easy. Yeah, pretty <laughs> big. Yeah, that's another thing is you know you have to have kind of a a gun that can kind of handle getting through that fish, and uh, some of those fish are pretty tough. What's the what's the biggest fish you've ever swam up on? Like, have you ever uh, had had any like where all of a sudden you look at them and it's like holy moly, <laughs> like I need to go the other way? I would hope to get that someday with the walleye. You know, I've been diving this long and I haven't. You know, I'd like to get one to to mount someday. But uh, the biggest ones I've seen are generally carp. I've seen a lot of really big carp. I don't know if they call them like boulder carp or something like that, but they're these huge round carp. And they just sit there, and then all of a sudden you'll swim by them, and then all of a sudden they'll start moving, and you think the rock is moving or something like that. But it's just a big old carp. And they're probably, I mean, I don't know, 40 or 50 pounds. And, uh, you know, I've had one guy, one one of my friends shot one of those, and it took him for a ride. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so he just took off on him, and he's, you know, holding on to his, uh, his spear gun. And, you know, it's, it's, those are some big fish for sure. Now but take, not good eating as junk fish for food, you know. Right. Now take us through the process of uh, of shooting a fish. Um, you know, how, how close do you want them to be? And like you said, you know, take you for a ride is, is at the end of your, I don't know, I'm going to call it an air, well, a spear. Okay, a spear. Yep. I mean, there's a, you know, a six-foot string, a ten-foot string, and, and, I mean, what's the fight like after you shoot one? Yeah, you know, with walleye, it's not too bad. <clears throat> I that's mean, well, that's, that's yeah, just that's how normal walleye kind of always a fight. Fish. Right. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean they're, they're just you know you get them, and a lot of times you know you want to get a, a, a good solid shot, so you don't want to necessarily take this kind of off to the side, six feet away shot because um, there's a chance that you may wound them too, kind of like if you shot a deer or something. You know, right. you, mm-hmm. you want to try and get the kill shot, um, and that's kind of you know, kind of maybe a, an an unwritten rule because again, you don't want to necessarily ruin that fish. So generally, I like to see uh, within a foot or two of range of me. Uh, I, I can be very solid at that range, and uh, 
you know, and visibility has something to play with it too. I mean, sometimes you don't even get enough visibility where the thing has to be darn near in front of your gun to see it. Um, but sometimes you get really great visibility and it's 20 feet visibility and you can see the fish out there and you're swimming your butt off or trying to be really, really, really sneaky to get up to it so you can shoot it and you just can't get close enough. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a dance with visibility and, and how comfortable you are, uh, with your equipment. Right. Now, uh, obviously we want to talk strategies and you kind of dipped into it there, but before we get into that, I want to, uh, kind of ask you like how much prep goes into a day of spear fishing? I mean, you know, for us rod and reel fishermen, you know, if we decide that we're going to go fishing, we throw a rod and reel, you know, in the back of the pickup and, and, uh, you know, some tackle and and we're out. But, uh, you know, for you, obviously there's got to be a little bit more prep. Uh, you know, what, what all goes into that? Yeah, you want to make sure, I mean, there's definitely a more, I mean, I would say with fishing, too, you have kind of a checklist. You don't want to forget this or that, you know, right. but you kind of have all your stuff maybe in your boat already. Um, with diving, it's a little bit more because, you know, you have to have air in your tank, so you have to, you know, you have to go get them filled, um, which, you know, most people don't have. The, it's a 3,000 PSI tank, so you don't can't just get a compressor at Ace Hardware and go fill your tank. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a special air compressor so you have to have that filled up um otherwise it's just making sure you have all your stuff with you um you know like your gun uh your dive stuff making sure everything's working your equipment should be checked on an annual basis so um they should be checking to make sure that all the hose connections and everything are in good shape um so one won't break underwater you just check those things a little bit better when you know that if something goes wrong you could you know possibly possibly not make it so when your life's on the line you're you know you're comb you're combing your stuff over and it takes a little bit longer just because you're a little bit more careful right now yeah. now when you're diving do you like have to have a flag up or something out that marks that you're down there under the water yeah and i would say that's you know where most people get confused especially line fishermen because we'll have a, we'll be down there and there'll be a, a a bright red or orange flag with a stripe going through it diagonally um and some fishermen are like well what is that is someone throw that there as a there's a big rock there or is there marking fish there um but if it's a red or orange flag with the white stripe through it that's a diver below flag so is is there kind of a rule like don't get within 50 yards of that flag or or i believe in south dakota it's 200 feet okay have you ever had any have you ever had any like freaky situations where somebody has went over top of you yeah, I've only had it once where I've seen a bottom bouncer scooting <laughs> along the ground in front of me. And part of my mind is like, well, maybe I should like tug on it a little that's bit. Oh, yeah, that's 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 that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, by the time you think about it, it, it crosses by you. So that's one thing, too, about fishing is, you know, the the ground that you can cover with a couple lines in the water is, is quite a bit more, you know, uh, diving. You're moving very slow. So you kind of have to find that spot and sit on it versus cruise along the whole shoreline and, and you know, snag one here or there kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, now let's dip into strategies. Uh, you know, you jump off the back of a boat or, or walk in from shore or whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. you're going fishing. Uh, you know, is this a spot and stalk deal? Or is this a sit and wait deal? How, how do you go about it? Well, the way it kind of differs, I mean, I'd say when you go out there to go line fishing, you're kind of looking at some points, seeing if you can maybe mark a few fish. Um, and that's pretty similar. Um, and the differences between those is that maybe I'm taking into account the visibility of the area. So, uh, with line fishermen, you're just trying to find the ideal spot with some good structure, maybe mark a few fish. 
um, we're doing the same thing scuba diving, but we're also trying to check the visibility to make sure that if there are fish down there, then that we can possibly see them if we go down. So, um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's the biggest difference is trying to find a, a good spot that has some decent visibility because there'll be parts of it at the river, too, where you got a mud line and all the fish could be in the mud. Well, you're not going to be able to see anything when you go down. Um, but if you're line fishing, you could be catching fish all day there. And, and if the visibility is good and the fish aren't hungry, you could be going right down the, the, the nice school of fish and you could be doing great that day scuba diving because you have good visibility and the conditions are right for it. So Right. Now, I, uh, you know, that, that was one thing last weekend. Uh, you know, the first day that you went out, you, you caught a limit. And the second day, I was really surprised to hear that, that you didn't get any. And, and in my mind, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, when, when we first started talking about it, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm for this or not. Like, this guy's just going <laughs> down there, and he's just shooting up right. all the fish. But, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it's not shooting fish in a barrel. You know, I mean, there some days it works and some days it doesn't and and uh you yeah. know that that's one of the things that uh i think people probably need to be educated and and i and i was one of those people yeah i would say i mean there's a, a good spot for both and I, I, lo I love line fishing and i think some days there's no way to beat it but the same's true with diving and i'd say that's where you see kind of almost the jealousy a little bit especially when you go up to the cleaning station and you got your limit and they're like man we we were out there all day in the sun and we didn't get, we got one fish or something like that. Um, but there are days where we go diving all day, you know, four, four, three or four people. And we all are diving every day, all the whole day. And we don't get a fish. Um, mostly again, because of those variables, like the trip that we just went on one day, I was like, all right, we might, you know, we found a good spot, good visibility, all the conditions were right. And there was fish on the point. So got the limit. No problem. It, it was like, you know, I could have, you know, I seen fish all the whole time I was on the point. So there was no, at no point where I was worried about not getting my limit. Then the second day I go back to the same point thinking that, Hey, there was plenty of fish there. And then they were all gone. You know, there was no fish there. I didn't see a, I saw a little bass that was probably six inches, you know? So, um, they move around, they go different depths and they move from point to point. So it's, you know, it's kind of like your favorite fishing spot. Sometimes it's just not, not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. You know, I mean, this is kind of a controversial subject. Uh, have you ever had anyone get mad at you? Have you ever had anyone, you know, come by and tell you that what you're doing is wrong? Uh, any, sure. any encounters like that? No, I mean, uh, confusion sometimes a little bit about, like, the dive flag. What is that? That kind of thing. But uh, for the most part, I haven't had anybody, like, throwing stuff or yelling at me or saying, you know, hey, what are you doing here? This is my area. I mean, I think fishing in general people like when they find a spot with some fish on it they're kind of like hey back off this is my area kind of you know that kind of attitude a little bit um because all the boats are crowding around one spot and uh, i think i kind of get that sometimes diving if i you know if i'm on a spot and it's someone's favorite spot but i was there first i mean i'm not going to drop in when someone's fishing it um and most divers would say the same they're going to find a point that nobody's on and try to dive that spot which is another kind of challenge because with a boat fishing, you can kind of nudge your way in there diving. It doesn't work that way. So, right. but like I said, fishermen are a little bit more like, this is my spot. And if you plop on there first and then they come, you know, midday and they see a diver on there, then they, you know, then they could be a little upset, but again, I've not had anybody like key, uh, my key, my car or anything like that. Over <laughs> it. So a lot of people are just like, Hey, is there fish down there? You know, they're just curious. And right, right. Uh, I'd be like, you know, oh, yeah, I could, I could see I saw a couple at 20 feet or something like that, you know? And, yep. um, that's usually how it goes. Nice. So. 
Now, obviously, this is the Midwest Angler Podcast, but uh, you also do some diving down in the Florida Keys, don't you, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I'll go down the Keys uh, a little bit. Um, my dad more so, since he's uh, like pretty much semi-retired now. Um, so they do grouper and lobster and all those uh, fun and tasty critters down there. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely easier to dive down there because the visibility is excellent. And there's a lot of a lot of cool dives you can do, like shipwreck dives, those kinds of things. There's uh, a lot of cool different dives you can do. More dangerous, so you definitely have to have a buddy in those situations. But You, you ever know. had a shark get uh, extra close? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially when you're spearfishing because... Yeah, you shoot a fish, and then there's blood in the water. So, hey, here comes your friend, the shark, going to try and take that fish off your stringer. You've got to have one situation where you kind (laughs) of got a little bit nervous, right? Yeah, you know, when um, I wasn't too bad, but I was a newer diver, so I was more nervous that, you know, he wouldn't react well. But we weren't extremely deep. We are probably 50 feet or 60 feet. 50 feet? Yeah, it's, it sounds deep because we're used to the uh, the river, but uh, in the ocean, it's pretty shallow. What's um, it? That's why. It, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. You're you're the oh. star of the show here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just saying that you know the it's pretty easy to like start following something in the ocean and just keep going because you can see so long. I mean, it's like if you're on a, a walk, you know, you're comfortable walking. Uh, really, you know, let's let's use driving as a comparison. Uh, if you're driving in the fog, you're going to drive a lot slower, right? If it's really, really foggy, because you don't know what's out there. In the ocean, it's really clear, so, you, you know, it's just like driving on a clear day. You'll just go to normal speed, and you can, you know, just cruise along. So what I was worried about in that situation is that, you know, we had the newer diver. We were still kind of deep, not super deep, but kind of deep, and uh, then these sharks start coming in because we shot a couple fish, and they, what they like to do is they like to try and pull them off your stringer. They're usually not going to try and bite you. Uh, if anything, they're, you know, they're unsure about you. So you just give them a poke with the spear gun. They actually have really, really tough skin. So you can't really like puncture their skin with a spear gun. So you just give them a poke and tell them, you know, kind of back off. But the more and the more sharks that come in, then you're like, all right, we got to get back to the boat and <laughs> that kind of thing. Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> What's the deepest you've ever dove? Uh, about 200 feet. Holy on a wreck dive. Yeah, so that was that was really fun. That was a good time. I went down with my dad, and uh, we follow a line going down to the wreck, the shipwreck. They have basically these big ropes tied to the top of the ship, and then uh, there's like these bobbers basically on the top. Um, and then you just follow the line down, but the current was so strong that you know if you would have let go of this line, you're just you're going to be floating off into the abyss. So you're like a flag on this line, working your way down, and uh, coming up, then you have to stop. Because you have to let the kind of the the, uh, the uh, in your blood you have bubbles and if you go up too fast you get what's called the bends and it can be a pretty bad condition so you have to stop and wait um, at these different stop at these different out these different levels basically but once you get down to the ship you get you know 10 15 minutes looking around on the ship uh, of course he shot a fish down there that was ginormous I think it was called a Goliath grouper or something oh, like yeah. that yeah, that was wow big. and uh, so then we came back up and yeah but it was fun that's pretty deep how, how long not, do, not for me but how long do you have how long do you have like on your oxygen tank uh in the river we have about two hours so you're more or less just kind of you know two hours is a pretty good amount of time usually with all that junk on you like a wetsuit and everything you kind of have to go to the bathroom after about an hour and 15 minutes so i usually like to break up a tank for two dives you know so you'll go down for an hour 
And then you come up, you know, you get some Gatorade or something, kind of rehydrate because the air is very dry, the compressed air is. So when you right. breathe it, you get pretty thirsty. And uh, take a little break and then go back down. So, Wow. Cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, now, Mike, obviously, uh, you know, if, if anyone's listening here uh, and they want to start doing this, what what advice would you give them? Uh, where should they start? Uh, you know, yeah, what, what would you tell them to do? Yeah, I'd say, you know, uh, if you know somebody that is into it, you know, talk to them, um, obviously, and just kind of get uh, their background and, and uh, knowledge on it. But if you don't have anybody, you know, you can always go to a, a local dive shop. You know, we have uh, one in Sioux Falls here. It's called Donovan's. And they do, you know, they do dive trips. So if you have three or four divers, you know, that are into spearfishing, they'll go do a dive trip and then they'll, go to different places whether it's the Missouri River or something else and uh we'll kind of kind of get that community you know it's a pretty small community there's not a lot of people that do it um you know just because it is more work and you know you have to you know be on top of a few more things um but it's it's, it's more active you know if you like hunting you know um like shooting big game or even small game if you just like that kind of element and fishing just you know doesn't seem as exciting to you for some reason i would say spear fishing is, is a good time but uh, it definitely takes time to also get comfortable down there before you can actually move on to spear fishing too so. right mm. is there any like south dakota diving clubs or, or spear gunning clubs or whatever or is that kind of not pretty much not... everything is going through the dive shop so a lot of yep. the people again it's so small i would be really surprised if there was a group on facebook or something like that that was uh, maybe in Minnesota, I, but again, you can't spearfish, I don't think, anyways, in most of the Minnesota lakes. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a club of divers or something, but pretty much all the dive trips are organized through a local dive shop, which is kind of neat because um, it, it kind of supports that business. Right, yeah. So they'll do trips down south during the winter and do like a, a cool ocean dive. Um, and then during the summer, they'll just organize kind of a weekend trip here or there. So, but again, it's a pretty small community, so there's not a not a big group big following like fishing yeah that's crazy stuff man well uh we really appreciate you uh taking time and uh chatting with us that's something obviously we have never covered because yeah like you said it's a small community and yeah when i when i met you on the trip well i guess i've known you for a few years now but uh when i started talking to you about it on the trip last weekend i knew like man we we gotta have this on you know that yeah just no, really I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys invited me i mean there's like you said, there's just a, a lot of question marks for people behind it. You know, just what is this and what are they doing? Are they just going down there and, you know, taking their pick of whatever fish they want kind of thing? And um, I will say, you know, one nice thing is is you, you get a good idea of what fish is too small to shoot. So if you see small fish, you're not just sitting there catching little dinker fish like you would line fishing. And I think we kind of had that a little bit that weekend too. It's like, you catch how many just under 15 inches or whatever and right um at least this way you can kind of you know sure if you see some small fish you just let them swim by you don't have to necessarily you know disturb them or anything like that and so you can kind of better get your limit um so you're not just sitting there you know shooting all day or catching fish all day you're you know you're really trying to get the fish that you can keep right yeah, yeah that's something that i never thought about neither uh yeah you're not just jacking on fish uh you know just uh throw them back down because they're too short you right 
And I, I think a lot of people have had those days where all you do is catch small fish, you know, so that's the frustrating thing of blind fishing sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's another aspect of spear spear gunning that I never really even thought about was, you know, you have to be a pretty good judge of fish, you know, out there on the river, right. you know, something that's borderline, you basically got to let pass. Pretty much, yeah. If, it's, if you think it's going to be on the line, you just got to let it go. I mean, it's, you know, it's not legal to shoot anything under the limit. Uh, so you don't want to get in trouble. So you just you just wait till you have one that you know you're pretty confident on. So right, and yeah. it's, it's interesting too. I mean, sometimes you just see a lot of small fish, but I, I will say that it is kind of nice to be able to if there's like a school of three or four fish, which it's not very common, but every once in a while you'll see you can at least pick the one that's the keeper. Again, line fishing, <laughs> that little one could come darting right towards your your uh, your bait, mm. and you got the little one on the line, and you miss the you know, the 25 inch or something. Right. Yeah. I think that's what normally happens. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the, yeah, that's pretty much how it does. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Mike, like I said, we, we really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you get that 30 yet this year. <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed. Over you bet. Me. All right. Talk All right, to you later, man. You bet. Have a good one. Bye. And that was the old spear gunner himself, Mike Clarenbeek. Uh, God dang it, that man. Was, that was very educational. All right, all right. I got I got something to ask you, Matt. All right, Mike Clarenbeek sitting right here down here in the podcast studio in my basement, and he says, "Hey, Matt, let's go diving. How deep would you dare dive?" Oh man, I I'm not a big fan of deep like deep water anyway. So I I don't think I could get down very far. I don't know if I'd go below ten feet. Like snorkeling, like is crazy <laughs> <laughs> on the surface yeah. extreme sport it's like i was way way under the water no you weren't well it felt like it okay yeah i don't know it, it'd be weird you know and you know those guys doing it him doing it in the river like that it's gotta be weird too with that current yeah there's current i don't know i, don't, I just I, I, I don't know it would be i've always thought it would be cool to dive at okaboji just to see what's all down there like he was talking about but I don't know. I'm pretty comfortable in my boat. I don't know if I want to get down into the water and get down there. You know, the thing about it is, like, I mean, I, I, I'm a fairly decent swimmer. I don't know how I'd be swimming while I'm diving, but, like, you get down in there and them fish and whatnot, like, you're in their domain. Like, oh, yeah. you know, you're kind of a, well. That's kind of like hand-to-hand combat. It is. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and, uh, you know, he, he, he said something in there that really kind of, stru- you know, stuck with me, you know, it's kind of like hunting, you know, I mean, you're, you're really hunting fish, you know, right. it's like deer hunting, you know, whether you, you know, find some big boulder down there and sit next to it and wait for the fish to come in, like you're in a tree stand, or if you do yeah. the spot and stalk method and, and whatever, but yeah, it's, it's hunting except underwater for fish. Yeah. I mean, it's, you think about it for us as in the boat you know we don't catch anything we can just quick reel in start the motor up and we can go a mile and go try a different spot on the water them those guys you know it's that's where they're at it's a lot of work to now you got to swim back up and get in and do all that stuff and then at least he knows if there's fish in the area right you know i mean you know like while we're out there I mean, we can sit and beat a bay, you know, to death, and there might not be, you know, any of the target species even in that area, whereas he knows, you know, this right. basically, you know, five minutes after he gets down there, like, all right, this is a lost cause, whereas we're, you know, throwing an hour or two at it to, to realize, well, that was a lost cause, <laughs> you know, 
I don't know. Cra- crazy stuff. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad Mike could be on because, yeah, I just I, I just think it's a really fascinating uh, topic. And, uh, yeah, just not too many people know about it. So my luck, my luck the first time I tried it, I would shoot myself in the leg or something. Right. <laughs> Speaking of diving and, and fishing and everything else, Calvin Grosvenor over yeah. there at Okaboji. Holy moly. Yeah, hats off to Calvin. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard the story, I think uh, what's what's John's Facebook page, I Lake Okaboji Fishing or Fish Okaboji like or something. Yeah. I, I'm sure he he posted it and whatnot. Uh, yeah, his son Calvin, who's what 17, 18, 18 years old, I 18 think. years old, uh, went down with a guy, and the guy ended up having a medical uh, seizure or something while underwater. Calvin did all the right steps to, uh, you know breathe air into it you know like give him like underwater cpr or something even and and uh got him to the surface and and rescued him like holy moly and then had to give him cpr on the dock yeah yeah i mean you want to talk i mean cpr in general is crazy and then you do it underwater and then you're still worried about yourself drowning yeah oh man the way i don't he's to keep calm like that it's it was an amazing thing an amazing story um that turned out great you know, lately we haven't been getting a lot of good things on the news and stuff like that. So it was kind of a nice to see a good story like that. <laughs> no doubt about outcome. it. No doubt about it. Uh, yeah, no, like uh, we mentioned earlier in the in the episode, uh, I did get out uh, in the Platte area. And like I said, we had some bad luck on the way out. So uh, I'll kind of tell that story now. Uh, we took off last Thursday. Uh, and we took off early enough in the day that we really thought that we were going to get some fishing in yet that afternoon. And on our way right by Parkston, South Dakota, I think, uh, yeah, our wheel bearing decided, uh, to, uh, I don't know, go up in flames. Basically, (laughs) uh, all of a sudden Tanner, uh, my buddy Tanner, who I was riding out there with, we were using his boat. We were in his pickup. And uh, he just let out a barrage of four-letter words. And I'm like, man, what did he forget? Like, you know, I mean, geez, you know, we can buy it when we get there, whatever. And and he said, I just blew a bearing. And he pulled over and, uh, you know, we grabbed a whole bunch of bottles of water and threw them on that bearing. And, man, I mean, it was it was hot as lava. It just, like, you could have you could have boiled an egg in 2.5 seconds on that <laughs> thing and whatever. So, yeah, you know, like I said, we're uh, a mile outside Parkston, South Dakota on a Thursday night at like freaking seven o'clock. Like, what are you going to do? And uh, crazy enough, Tanner's like, hey, do they got a Sturdivant's uh, auto parts uh, store in Parkston? I'm like, yeah, well, they do. So uh, he called back to Chris Bix, who uh, runs the one in Rock Rapids here. Chris Bix called out to the manager out there. He opened up the shop for us and uh, got Tanner the parts he needed and you know, Tanner, the master mechanic, the guy could fix about everything, uh, vice grip, uh, hammer and a, uh, flathead screwdriver. And he changes a, out a whole entire wheel bearing. And I won't say he did it super fast, but he did it right. We got there and we got back. So like I said, you know, we finally got there after midnight on uh, Thursday night. So there was no fishing on Thursday and, uh, we parked on a really steep embankment the next morning we get out there and somehow I don't I don't know what it was, but maybe an overflow on the gas tank or something, and I don't know the back of the back of Tanner's boat was covered in fuel really? or dripping fuel on the ground. If somebody would have lit up a cigarette, the whole entire place would have blown up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so whatever that was that. But uh, we did get out there. The first day we kind of struggled. Uh, we you know. 
we didn't go too far. We, we caught a few, well, we caught quite a few walleyes. We just didn't catch anything of any size, but, uh, yeah, we turned it around on Saturday and Sunday. We caught a limit both days in a row and they were, they were nice fish, nice hearty fish. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a heck of a lot of fun. So well, sometimes you need to have that little adventure to, you know, make the outcome that much sweeter. Right. We fished, you know, we, we originally started off and we thought 21 feet of water was the ticket. Like that was the ticket, man. When we really started catching them, catching them for our limit, we were in like under five. Oh yeah. Like way up shallow, finding mud lines and trolling through them. And we, uh, the first day we caught our limit on uh, bottom bouncers with just plain leeches. And the next day we actually pulled plugs through it and, uh, we caught our limit that way. So it was kind of fun, uh, you know, kind of doing stuff our own way. We didn't really have any intel on the spot. We showed up because we saw a mud line and started going. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it felt good to crack the code and, and get some limits in the boat. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. We, the, on Sunday, we had four people in the boat pulling them cranks. All four rods went at the on our first pass through that mud line. That's all four fun. go, and I mean we've got freaking treble hooks flying around, and I mean <laughs> fish flopping on the floor, and and nobody got hooked. No one got hooked. I couldn't believe it, but I, I thought for sure, like, all right, this is a recipe for disaster here. But <laughs> it it ended up good, and uh, yeah, like I said, there was more bad luck uh, Saturday. Uh, another guy in our camp, he uh, he fried up his trolling motor. So then they were big motoring around all day long, uh, you know, kind of doing what they could with the big motor. They loaded the boat up and, uh, yeah, they got it to go in for lunch. They loaded it up on the trailer, pulled it out. And all of a sudden a whole big old puff of steam comes out of the big motor. And yeah, he fried something in there too. And wow. so his weekend got cut short with a real kick to the nuts for, I'm sure a few thousand dollars. So, yeah. you know what they say with boat bust out um, another thousand. Proved. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't know. That's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. It I, sucks. The, the worst part about it is I haven't uh, had to bust out another thousand yet. So I know my time is coming. You, you, you only oh, get, I know. you only get away for so long. Oh yeah. So, Ah, like I said, that was a fun trip, uh, and we got a couple new podcast listeners out of the deal. Uh, some of the guys that we were uh, that I was out there with, so uh, the AB uh, excavation crew of uh, Al Brugman, uh, Austin Brugman, Chase Brugman, uh, Adam Monin, Jake Stokely, a bunch of those guys that we were in camp with. Uh, I talked to Austin last night, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're all listening to the episodes." <laughs> and so I know that they're all probably kind of excited to hear this one, being that it's on our, uh, you know, the fishing trip that they were on. And uh, actually, Mike, who we just had on, is Austin's brother-in-law. So, oh, all right. Oh yeah, it all it all comes around. So. Full circle. Yep. In other news, uh, finally time for some Bassmaster tournaments. Yeah. First fantasy, get those t- fantasy teams set. Yep. If you, we, uh, I've had, a, there's been a lot of people that have joined it in the last week. They or, have. They so have. That's, that's good. good. That is good. It's going to be all the better when I win that son of You're a gun. you right. Well, you ain't winning. Well, that's what you think. I mean, I'm going to let you think you're going to win, but then, yeah, you're not going to. You want to have a gentleman's wager right now that I fish higher or that I finish higher than you? All right. What are we betting? Mm, you want to do food or bait? Food. Food? Yeah. Steak supper. All right. Steak supper over at... I don't care where it is. All right, just a steak supper. Just a steak supper. A steak supper. Oh, man, it's going to taste good. I'm getting hash browns with mine. (laughs) 
Well, I'm going to get hash browns too with mine. Yeah, it's well, you're paying the best. for it. No, that's going to be the it. best part is that you're paying for it. I ain't paying for shit, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe I just Jeez, let that rip. man. My bad, my you're bad, guys. Gonna, lately, I've got to get a sensor button in here for yeah, you. This is not the way that we wanted this podcast to go with me. You're just me hey. cussing like that. Oh, man. Like, yeah, you know, so get those fantasy fishing lineups set. Uh that's coming day. If you're listening to this after Wednesday, it's probably too late, so you're gonna get <laughs> no points in it. But other big news, you oh guys, you guys found out, yeah, gender reveal of the little one on the way. Right, we had a gender reveal at the Sturman household uh, the other night, and uh, turns out I'm gonna have another boy joining oh, the Sturman crew. Man. Sturmans only throw boys. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I, you know, I was 150% positive that this thing was a girl. I, I was. I would have bet a paycheck on the deal. And, uh, yeah, I was just so sure it was a girl. And then all of a sudden this blue confetti goes flying. And I, I got to tell you this story. This is, this is a classic right here. So uh, my wife gets uh, eight confetti cannons, four pink, four blue. And uh, we got in an envelope, uh, you know, if this thing was a boy or a girl, so uh, I talked to my neighbor, Jeremy K across the road, and I say, hey, we're going to give you the envelopes. We're going to give you these eight cannons. Uh, you just return the four confettis that are the right ones, you know, whatever color it's supposed to be. Okay, yep, he agrees to it, whatever. So uh, he, he brought them over the other night and uh, whatever. So we blast them off last night, and I know Jeremy K's in Sioux Falls when we're doing this. So I find on Google a picture of some pink confetti. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I sent it to him last night after after we get done popping the blue confetti. I send him pink confetti and I say, hey, it's a girl. Thanks, man, or something like that. And he just texts back, uh, and, and I kind of, I, I let it, I let it go for a little while. And I was talking to him this morning. He's like, dude, I was 99% sure. Like we checked, we double checked, we triple checked, but he's like, there's always that chance. And, knowing Jeremy, he did. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that to him, but it was kind of funny. I would have liked to have seen his face. Although but. he could have the ultimate prank on you in the long run. Yeah, right. <laughs> I told him I'm like throw one random in there just to you know just to see what people say. But yeah, well, it's not twins. At least we got that going for us. So man, I'm gonna have to talk to some of you and Eric's old teachers to find out what it is like to teach Sturman boys. Cause I'm going to have to have a couple, I'm going to be teaching a couple Sturman boys here in the future. They are going to so. give you hell. Cause I'm going <laughs> to give them permission. Like you'd be nice to all the teachers besides Matt. <laughs> Does anyone ever call you Matthew? Uh, only my mom only would ever call me Matthew when I was in trouble. So okay. she'd always call me Matthew Raymond. Like if I was in trouble, I'd be Matthew Raymond. So, all right, then I ain't going to go there. no, so yeah, so congratulations on that. Right. Uh, in other news, uh, I saw on Facebook that uh, there's a guy out in Hartford, South Dakota, that is looking to propose a uh, a season on walleye for non-resident anglers on the river. Non-resident anglers on the river can't fish walleye between January first to uh, like April May first or something or something like that. Yeah, first January, February, March. It's some asinine and stupid. I, I, I can't believe they're even like considering like even like listening to this. What? Wh- I guess what's the point? Because because uh, they're they're taking our walleyes. That's what it is. They're coming over here and taking our walleyes. That's what it is. It's it's hundred percent what it is. During the early season like that, there's no open water over here to fish. There's close seasons in Minnesota to fish. 
So people take the opportunity because the Missouri River opens up before everything else and you get a nice, you know, 40, 50 degree day. Everybody heads over there and there's 100 to 300 boats out there. Right. And while they're they're catching all the walleye and they're keeping all the walleye. And then they they then I saw people commenting saying, oh, then they stay and they'll go out in the morning and they'll catch a limit. Then they'll go to their hotel and then they'll go back out in the evening and catch another oh, limit and sake. stuff like that. Well, then if they're doing that, then they need to be caught and right. they need to Call be punished. In. Call them in if you know, if they're, if you people, know they're doing it. There's people in state that do the same thing. So don't – it just Have you ever noticed me. that the people that – always propose stuff like that or the people that suck at fishing well even if they don't it's just like i just think it's stupid i get so sick of hearing all that stuff the non-resident deal right you if know, you want to close down the season close it down to everybody exactly but. right if if that's his proposed thing then you know what then nobody should be able to catch him out there that's what they should come back and tell him they'd be like whoa well uh, they're not his fish and right. that's how he's treating it. These are right. my fish. He'll say, "Well, no, they're 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 South Dakota residents' fish. No, they're everybody's fish who buys a fishing license. If I want to drive three hours to fish, then I drive three hours to fish. If that's the only viable option for open water, I should be able to do that. I just I, it just bugs me. And don't get me wrong. Like I commented on the post on Facebook, and uh, a guy I know. You know, I, I mentioned that it always seems I buy licenses in three states. I get an Iowa license, a Minnesota license, and a South Dakota license. Last year I had a Wisconsin license as well. If I go to North Dakota, I'll get a North Dakota license. But it always seems, whenever I look around, it's always the, it, it always seems like the South Dakota fishing page. Maybe I'm just on that one more. It seems like they're always complaining about non residents. Right. Always. And I get it. There's people. Yesterday, when I was a, you know, when I was up in Minnesota, I, you know, Iowa plates, Iowa stickers on the boat, and all this stuff. People kind of will look at you like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you doing up here?" and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know. I get fired up about it because it just that bugs me. Because it's, I don't care if somebody buys a license, they have every right to fish the open season. It shouldn't be we're only only residents can do this and then you know what then we're gonna start doing stuff then then where does it stop where did, right you know, no i i 100 agree i 100 agree uh you know like me i've got a south dakota license i'll i'll take a couple trips out to the black hills you know i mean take a couple trips out up to you know northeast south dakota you know obviously i was just out on the missouri river but i mean i, I guess i took two limits of walleyes uh, while I was out there on, on the Missouri River, and I probably kept, you, you know, six. non-resident. I know it. Six walleyes while I've been up in northeast South Dakota, you know, six, eight, ten walleyes, whatever, and, and you know, a few perch or whatever. But, uh, you know, most of the stuff I catch goes back down the hole, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm we're considered the bad guys. I Well, you I'm know no, what? They even, they even get mad at uh, – there's even license plates, lookers out there. It always seems like it's a lot at the river, too, or even, I guess, it's up in northeastern South Dakota, too. But they're always looking at the license plate number two, and they'll get mad for when there's, like, Minnehaha County oh, yeah, plates up like there. Minnehaha. You know, yeah. you know it's like, what are these city folk doing up here fishing our fish? You know, Well, I noticed just, that a lot this last weekend when I was out on the river, when we would go trolling up and down, you know, obviously you get within pretty decent proximity of people, you know, 20 yards, whatever, and... uh 
we had a lot of people that would not wave at us because we were in an Iowa boat. Right. But we'd watch them hit the next people just a little bit farther down in a South Dakota boat, and they're, you know, whatever. And and we're not making this out to be an anti-South Dakota deal. Like, I love South Dakota. I probably love South Dakota more than I like Iowa, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, yeah, come on, guys. Like, we're all, we're all, we're all buying licenses. I mean, we're all anglers. We're all, you know, we're all out there to enjoy it. And we all agree that the people that are doing the wrong things and not following the rules and regulations should get punished. Absolutely. But don't punish me because you think that's happening out there. And residents do it just as much as non-residents do it's not always the non-residents hit are ruining it for everybody. right you pay you pay 80 dollars or 71 dollars or whatever it is for right. a year and probably keep 25 fish out of south dakota a year like right i, th- I think i think that's an even trade like 95 of the time when i go over there to fish it's catch and release right you know so don't sit there and tell me that i'm taking you know and they'll say, well, I'm not. Well, not you specifically. No, you said a non-resident. You're right. trying to get this passed for non-residents. That's me. So, Time for you to have a beer and a cigarette. Yeah, make it a non-alcoholic and uh, hold the tobacco on the... Hold the tobacco on the cigarette. cigarette. He's, he's willing to smoke, but hold the tobacco. <laughs> well, I should be careful how I say that because you know, people probably take that differently. Uh, he, he's, he's, an, he's a non-smoker. All things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't All smoke right. Anything? No. Well, fish. I, I guess I some ribs. I'll smoke that. You know, yeah, whatever. that's true. That's so. true. Smoke meat. <laughs> smoke meat, not backy. Yeah, that's right. All right. Good news. Good news story. Good news. You know, kind of a good news shout out thing. Um, uh, you know, I want to give a shout out. Good thing to Wade Jepson. Wade Jepson. Okay. Listener of the show. He you does bet. a lot of, he shares a lot of our stuff on, fo- on social media. You know, there's a local rock rabbits page. He's always, you know, putting nice things out there about us saying kind words. So, you know, you thanks a lot, Wade. We really appreciate that. You bet. Uh, my good news story of the week is going to go to our buddy, Stu. Uh, Stu's, Stu's been on the show before, uh, Stu the noob, whatever, but, uh, his son, Caleb, Won a rod and reel out of uh, Stan's Bait and Tackle in the Iowa Great Lakes Fishing Club over there. And uh, so he got himself a nice St. Croix reel. And yeah, I mean. A St. Croix rod or Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Rod. Rod. My bad. Rod and reel combo. And uh, yeah, a little, I don't know how old Caleb is. Going to be a first grader, I believe. So we'll say he's five or six. And uh, yeah, little five or six-year-old Caleb's got a nicer rod and reel than his dad does. So. Right. And you can tell it in the pictures. You yeah, know, you're damn dad's right. just kind of looking at him like, you if I catch If I catch Stu using Caleb's rod, I'm oh. going to call him out on it. Oh, so am I. I'm going to call him out on it. Poor that kid. He probably was just like. You did not win that, Stu. Here. I saw he had some pictures of him holding the rod, but it's just like, I don't know. Knowing Stu, he probably just. He probably hold a rod and I'll take right. the picture. He of probably the bribed fish. him. Probably bribed him like with a happy meal and a juice box yeah, or like, something. Whoa, you know, I'll give you this if you. I'll trade you this for my that rod and that reel. I'll give you four dollars for it. <laughs> Old Stu, he's a slippery sucker. He's still our buddy though. <clears throat> All right. Well, with that, I guess I don't have anything else unless you've oh, got anything else. One, one more. A, you've got one something more. else. Okay. One more ramrod. Oh my gosh. I was, I can't believe I missed it on the last episode to talk about him. Everybody, everybody here knows Ramrod. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about our buddy Ramrod. If you see any pictures from us fishing, he goes on a lot of the adventures with us. We give Ramrod a whole lot of hell. 
and most, he deserved most, it. Most and most other people would have gave us the middle finger a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> and said, "See ya." He's like a beat dog; he just keeps coming back. <laughs> he does. I'll give him credit. But uh, our buddy Ramrod uh, took off this last week to uh, with the army to go and fight for our freedom overseas. Um, right now, I believe he's up at uh, Ripley up in Minnesota. But uh, from there, I think he heads over to. Uh, Probably some not so good areas. So right. you know, I don't. I don't know if you guys pray or if you guys uh, just think or whatever you do. We don't care. But uh, think about or pray about our buddy Ramrod, and uh, he's going to be gone for a whole entire year. And uh, you know, obviously we ju- we just want him to come back safe because we need that guy that comes along on the fishing trips that always catches the least amount of fish. Right. So I mean, that, like I mean, who's the worst fisherman in our group now right. when he's yeah, gone? Exactly. Now it's you. And, <laughs> and I, you know, if I'm going to be doing this podcast with you, I can't be having you, you know, be our, uh, be the worst fisherman. We need Ramrod back like, right. for validity for the podcast. No, Ramrod, so. Ramrod made it out to the Missouri river with us. Uh, yep, that was awesome that you guys got him along with you. Yep. So, uh, yeah, whatever. No, uh, all, all jokes aside, uh, he's our buddy and, uh, we hope he comes back soon and safe. And, uh, yeah, with that, unless you got something else to nope. add to that episode 76, episode 76, I can tell rock rapid smells better with Ramrod not in it. <laughs> Gotta get that last dig in there. I had to take one more shot. All right, that's episode 76. We will see you next week on episode 77. Later.